0: He would be so fired up. And and he would just give this big shout. I know this sounds funny, but he would say, Hallelujah! And man, our church would just shout with him. And for all you folks at West Anderson Church of God who, who were shepherded by him for over 40 years and who he touched and blessed and all you pastors who have come out of that church and started pastoring and started churches and ministries that have gone out from that local congregation under his mentorship and under his leadership we're praying for you and praying for the daniel family that god will be with them and encourage them but i pray that we never lose our shout i pray we never lose our praise i pray that we continue to understand that one of these days We're going to stand around that throne when we're we're literally taking up into heaven as we praise Him. Because He says we'll be seated together with Him in heavenly places. And so we are worshiping together with all those in the heavenly realms. And we're shouting out, Hallelujah! Praise Your name! We give You glory. We give You honor. God is so good. What a privilege it is to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Last week we started talking about John chapter 5, and we went into uh, the Beatitudes, and I talked about, in a sense, letting God shine through you, and understanding that these were the characteristics of Christ, and that these were not something necessarily that we, we look to attain to, but it's a measuring stick for us to see, are we submitted to Him? And when I think about that, how do we enter the kingdom of God? Because those first three that we talked about are a change of attitude towards self. Because it says in verse 3 that we are poor in spirit. In other words, we should not be spiritually arrogant. The next one uh, is our change of attitude towards sin, that we should mourn the things that we have done. The next one is is our attitude toward the Savior, that we should be meek or humble or lowly before Him because we understand that those who are humble will not be cast away. But this morning, I want us to continue that study and I want us to look at how do we express the kingdom of God? How do we truly let God shine through us? If, If we're going to be a part of His kingdom, then we should also display the characteristics of Christ and his kingliness in us. Come on. Amen. I think I hear an amen off of somewhere out there. And and so this morning I want us to look at these scriptures in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 through 8. It said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled and satisfied. Thank you, Dre, for reiterating that scripture just a few moments ago. It goes on in verse 7, it says, blessed are, those, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Wow. So what I look at, when I see these scriptures in Matthew chapter 6 and 8, I, I literally see three new attitudes by which we should allow to be our attitudes. First of all the first one I think is a a new attitude that is upward a new attitude that is upward it's a change of desire blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied i mean this is a this is an insatiable desire for god uh, and the things of god it's not like I, I just got finished playing uh baseball or soccer on a hot day and i'm thirsty no this is a this is a, a desire that look i've been walking the desert for days and i'm absolutely cannot quench this thirst i'm super thirsty there's not even a drop of water around david says i'm i'm Uh, Dry in a weary land where there is no water. That's the kind of thirst he's talking about. It's not a a hunger that says, well, I missed lunch, so I'm just hungry. No, it's a hunger that says, I haven't eaten in two or three days, and I am super hungry. I guess if we were to look at English words that literally describe this, it would be parched. It would be, I'm so hungry, I'm starving to death. Jesus says, blessed are those who have that kind of hunger and thirst for God. I think one of the greatest proofs of true salvation is that there's a new desire within the within the believer that wants something from God that that's looking for more they just they have felt something they have tasted and seen that the Lord is good and they're not satisfied with anything less than the best and they want more of God himself come on and so I don't deny and I don't doubt that there's so many who have been in that place in life. They remember the when they when they first got saved. They remember the desire, they remember the hunger, but but at the same time they have found themselves in despondency. They found themselves drifting away too many times. We get comfortable. Come on somebody. We get comfortable in our religious state. We get comfortable in our praise state. We get comfortable with the things around us and it becomes habitual. And I'm here to tell you that God's looking for a people who will be hungry, who will be, who will be thirsty for Him. I'm reminded of Israel. It seems like there was a cycle of despondency. The Israel, it seemed like every hundred years or so they were They were walking away from God. They found themselves despondent. They found themselves looking away from God and finding themselves being satisfied with the country they were in or with the things that they were involved in and they lost sight of of God's perfect plan for them. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about? And I, I see ourselves even today, it seems like we get despondent in life. Every hundred years, there's a cycle of despondency. And it seems like when those things take place there's a pestilence that comes or there's a enemy that comes in or there's something that happens that awakens our eyes to what is it that God is wanting us to see what is it that will awake us to recognize we need God in this place I recall that we see the cycle of despondency uh, me and Cash was talking about this earlier he said pastor you're gonna have to preach that I said, oh, it just might happen but there's a cycle of despondency if we see in the 1920s where there was the roaring 20s. The economy was exploding and everybody was turning their eyes away from God and to their own, uh, uh, their own wealth and their own prosperity. And yet in the midst of that uh, turning away or that despondency, a great uh, event took place. And, and we saw how pestilence swept the landing and, and millions around the world were killed because of a pandemic. And here we are, a hundred years later, finding ourselves where people have been drawn away, where they've waned from their relationship, where the church is in decline. And we see that, that, that people are not no longer seeking the face of God. Even they've compromised within the church and they're going their own way, each into his own path. And yet here we find ourselves once again in a cycle of despondency and now something has swept in and what will change? What will it be that revives us again? But I want you to understand that just because there's a cycle of despondency there's also a cycle of revival. Because I recall in the late 1800s there was a move of God that happened in Azusa Street that sparked a fire and a flame where a brother in Christ got baptized in the Holy Ghost and that That power and that anointing swept across this country and it was a birthing of the assembly of God. It was a birthing of the church of God. It was a birthing of the church of God in Christ. It was a birthing of a Pentecostal movement that has still growing. The only sect of Christianity that is growing in this world today is that Pentecostal move that started 100 years ago. And so just like that revival took place 100 years ago, we also see the revivals that took place in the 90s in the Browns revival 100 years later. We also see the revivals that took place in Toronto and how God moved, we, we see. And I'm just believing that just like there's a cycle of despondency, there's a cycle of revival, and I believe that this moment is a moment where we, where we begin to turn our eyes to Jesus and we begin to initiate a revival that sparks an anointing of the Holy Ghost that absolutely impacts our world with the power of God. Some of you, I don't know if y'all are as excited as I am, but I'm excited. Amen? I just believe that's what God wants to do in our life. I just believe that that's what God wants to do in this time. It's not for us a time to just look away and wonder, is God God real? Is God available? It's a time to seek his face. And Jesus says, blessed are they that are desiring righteous in this manner. Think about it. Psalms chapter 42, this is David crying out. He said, as the deer panteth for the water brook, so doth my soul long after thee. But it goes on, Says, it says, When shall I come and appear before you, God? I don't know if that's your longing, but I don't know about you, but I just, I just want, to, I want to know that I'm in His presence. And I know that I can be in His presence not just when there, there's a congregation of people, but there's a sense of community that God has built us for. It's a common unity. And when we come together in community, it's there that we see the presence of God being poured out. It says, Uh, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is there that the commanded blessing, it is the anointing that flows down in that moment and the commanded blessing takes place. God created us for unity and community and we need to walk in that unity and we need to have that hunger and we need to have that desire to be together for the kingdom of God and for the plan of God. Too many times we find ourselves as a passing thought. Well, God, you know, we, we, we let God... We, we let God come in one ear and out of the other so quickly that we lose sight of who he is. And it's, and it's much like the children of Israel in Hosea chapter 6 and 4 says, What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? For your loyalty is like the morning cloud and like the dew which goes away early. Woo, God help us. I believe God wants to produce a new attitude of hunger within us. Can I get a witness? Come on. God wants to produce a new attitude of hunger within us. I'm not talking about a, a, a hunger, uh, like like I said, just because you've missed lunch. I'm talking about a hunger that motivates you to an action for the kingdom of God. It, de- it demands to be fed. I I want something on my plate. I want it now. I, I can't do anything without it. I'm going to long for it. I'm going to fight for it. I'm going I'm to... Do whatever it takes because I want this morsel. And and I don't want just a morsel, but I want another morsel and another morsel because I want God's presence. Amen. Amen. The person who really wants God, the person who really is longing after God is not going to sit around on a table waiting on it to to happen for them. They're going to do something to get what they want. Come on. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I mean, if you've, ever, if, you've, if you've ever had kids and you walked into, a, into the Walmarts and you go down by the, the toy aisle or the candy aisle, y'all know what I'm talking about. Because some kids are like, hey, wait a minute, whoa, we can't pass this aisle. And they get, to, they, get to, they get to start, you know, hey, mama, hey, mama, give me, I want this, I want this. And then they grab it and they put it in the cart and the mamas grab it and put it back in. They grab it and put it back in. No, you can't have that. And then they get on the floor and like, yeah, oh, i got to have it. you got to give it to me. Maybe that's what it means to, unless we become like a little child. We can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Ooh, come on. There's a fight in them. There's a desire in them to, that when they want something, it won't be satisfied by just no. It's a stirring in their spirit that they, i got to have this. And I just believe that if we, as the body of Christ, will come as a child and have such a desire for the kingdom of heaven, that it won't be just satisfied by a worldly person saying no or a religious person saying no. It it only will be desired by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit showing up and changing and transforming us and filling us to the brim with His presence and His power. Amen. 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 Somebody said, "Well, I've been saved, but I've just kind of lost my desire." It's kind of like you could take a, a horse and lead him to water, but you can't. But but you can't make him drink. And somebody said, "You got to put some salt on the oats, right?" What's What's that mean? I, I'll just say it this way: You got to get around some salty people. Now, I'm not talking about. I know there's a new lingo today. Salty kind of means a little bit sideways, right? Salty could mean a bad attitude, right? You getting salty with me? No. I, I'm talking about salty people that make you thirsty for what they have I mean the Bible tells us that we are the salt of the earth how salty are you how how much do you display the presence and power of God in your life that others want what you have do you make them thirsty for the power of God. Do you make them thirsty for the word of God? Do you make them thirsty to seek the face of God? Look, you got to get around some salty people. you got to get around some people that's going to make you hungry. you got to get around some people that's going to make you desire the things of God. Look, a sick person loses their appetite. That, that's how I know my kids are sick. Because when my, my tapeworm boys that seem to eat me out of house and home. When they ain't hungry, something wrong. I'm checking temperatures. I'm going around, look, what's wrong with you? You ain't hungry. you sick. Look, spiritually sick people won't be hungry for God. They lose their appetite for the things of the Spirit. They're too busy feasting on the things of the world. Come on. Too busy feasting on the things of the world. So many Christians, look, you don't realize it, but the, the devil's choice of weaponry against you is not, is not coming with you with, with absolute outright sin. Those who are in the church who are worshiping in pews every Sunday or those who are listening to the word of God every day. Let me tell you something. The enemy's not going to come to you with just, you know, well, why don't you just go drink you a, a, you know, a beer or have you a margarita or whatever. Because, you, you know, well, you know, I don't do that kind of thing. And, and, and sadly is that sometimes we kind of put our nose on that. That ain't who I am. Right? It's not going to come with you with outright sin. But the thing is is what he's going to do. He's going to come with you with stuff. Somebody say stuff. Stuff. He's going to come with you with hobbies and things like that. That, that will take the place. That will take, that'll take away the balance of who you are. And let me tell you something. Hobbies become habits that keep us inhibited from the habitation of the presence and power of God come on y'all might need to hear that again hobbies become habits that inhibit you from the habitation of the presence of God you have to be careful not to allow things to get so busy in your life busy the acronym BUSY being under Satan's yoke when you get so busy with your hobbies of life that you lose sight of the presence and power of God that's what the enemy throws on those who call themselves Christians those who say I'm a child of the king and yet we get so busy that we don't open the book we get so busy that we don't get down and pray we get so busy that we don't spend time with the body of Christ encouraging one another even so much more as we see the day approaching God saying wake up and get a hunger and a thirst for me blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled it's a promise so I want more of God no you don't oh boy I'm about to get in trouble I want more of God I want more of God I want more of God I... look If you want more of God, he's saying, all you have to do is hunger and thirst. You will be filled. It's a promise. If you want more of God, you can have more of God. He says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. You can't seek God half-heartedly and expect to be filled by his presence and his power. He says, if you want me, come after me. If you want me, come and get me. Here I am. I'm here available to you. I want to touch you. I want to feel you. I want you to know who I am. Woo! We need an attitude that is upward. That changes our desire. We need an attitude that is outward. It changes our disposition toward others. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. You know, mercy is a way that you treat who has, treats you who has been done wrong. It's a way that you treat people who've done you wrong when suddenly you find yourself in a position where you have them in your power. You know, we, we talk about in our society, I remember doing my master's degree uh, in human services counseling and, and and went through a class on diversity, went through a class on understanding society and, and all those things. And And I realized that I had to be self-aware of my own privilege, my own power, and understand those things. And having lived in a foreign country for eight years, I have a very good grasp of, of understanding the blessings that I was birthed into. And so I understand privilege and I understand power. And, and, and so we talk about them a lot of times in the, in the, in the realm of, of race. We talk to them in the realm of society. We talk about them in the realm of, of culture. But I'm here to tell you that there's also a spiritual privilege and a spiritual power that we have when we come into the kingdom. And we, we, we're we called kingdom kids. Come on. We're called the the, the the heirs of righteousness. We've been empowered by God. We have found privilege in the king's house. And we've been his vessels of honor. Come on, somebody. And, and, and so I believe that in those moments we find ourselves privileged empowered, and empowered. And, and God's saying, how are you going to respond to those who are broken in society? How are you going to respond to those who've done you wrong? How are you going to respond to those who you've been hurt by? How are you going to respond to those who have, who have absolutely just trudged you through the mud? And I'm reminded of, of one who has been empowered. I rem- I'm reminded of Stephen. And here he was, a man of God, a servant of God, a a servant uh, for the kingdom of God. And and, and, and in his moments, even though he was empowered, even though he had ability, he was being pummeled by rocks and stones. And here's what he had to say in, in Acts chapter 7 and 60. He says, then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he died. Wow. What a powerful understanding. Because he could have cursed him. The Bible says that the power of life and death is in the tongue. How many understand that? He could have cursed him. I think I think it's Elisha who, when he was walking down the street and a group of boys were yelling out, Oh, ball head! And they were making fun of him. And, and he cursed them and the bears came out and, and actually attacked them. Y'all remember the story? Stephen had the anointing and the power and authority of God he could have he could have cursed them but instead understanding his privilege and understanding his power in the kingdom of God understanding the plan of God he said Lord don't hold this sin against them one he was self-aware of who he was he knew that for me to live is Christ and to die again he knew that in him there was a spiritual anointing that he was okay with God and if if it was his time to go, then praise God, it's his time to go. And he looked around and he understood the, 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 the awareness of who they were around him because he called them sinners. Don't let this sin. He understood that it wasn't that they were people that were right with God. These were people who were broken. And if they wasn't broken, then, then they wouldn't be doing what they're doing. And Jesus, don't lay this sin on them because they need you and they need a way and they need a, a, the power of God to touch them. Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter 23, verse 34. He, he cried out to the Father as he was on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Come on, somebody. Another way to do this is we talk about, don't judge me. Come on. Anybody ever heard that? Anybody ever said that? Hmm don't judge me The Bible actually doesn't say don't judge it, 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 it says it this way when you judge just understand that the measure and degree that you judge others it will be judged back to you and I don't know about you but I don't want to be anybody looking at me with a, micro, my, uh, a microscope because they might find something they don't want to see right and so don't be looking at other people with a microscope trying to find out their fault, their sin, their, their brokenness. How about finding what God has put in them and and start accentuating the things that God has put in them, the seeds that God's planted in them and understand that they are the righteousness of God because they're the people of God who's been made by God, who the breath of God has been blown into and therefore they are valuable in the kingdom of God and though their brokenness might be there, it could be that their brokenness could be their fire that they throw into the flame and be renewed by the power of God and they just might be the next evangelist that wins the world that you couldn't win. Come on somebody, God help us, God help us. It's one of the truest tests of character when we look and we recognize that there are those broken around us. There's those who have, have broken us. And in our heart we sense vengeance. In our heart we want to see them feel What we have felt, we want them to understand the hardships that we've gone through But the the true test of Christianity is not when we take vengeance on somebody The true test of of righteousness and walking in the righteousness of God Is when we can look at broken people and say, I was broken And because you're broken, God healed me and I know he can heal you Quarantine boon Spent years in a Nazi prison. Many times the guard would come in and beat her and her sisters. And it was a hellacious moment to think of the concentration camps that she was kept in. But later in life, as she was released, and and she was released from that grip of terror, and she was preaching in a church, There was one face that always came to her mind as she was being beaten. The same guy came in. And that face would haunt her at night, but but as she was preaching in a service one day, that face came into the building. And and, and at the end of the service, the guy came up to her and, and he says, I want you to know that I've been saved. God forgave me and saved me, and I want you to forgive me. And she says at that moment she had to choose to forgive. We often don't realize that forgiveness is a choice. It's not a feeling. We may not ever forget what took place about us, but we can forgive because forgiveness is a choice. You know, it pangs me when I talk to people and they say, I can't forgive them. They don't deserve to be forgiven. Because the same old rankly finger that you're pointing out at somebody else saying they don't deserve to be forgiven. There's a few more fingers pointing back at you that when you stand before God, God's going to say you didn't deserve to be forgiven. But I stood on a cross of Calvary and I I let the nails go through my hands because I love you this much. I want you to be forgiven and just as I have forgiven you, you've got to forgive others. Mm, Jesus, we've got to be willing to allow God to work in us because when we walk in unforgiveness, we're literally thumbing our nose at, at, at God saying, I don't, I don't want your forgiveness or I don't appreciate or I don't value uh, the, the, the great riches of your glory that you've given me. It reminds me of a story in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 through 35 uh, of when the king came in and and he was collecting all of his debts. In that scripture, there was one servant who was drugged before the king. And, and, and he owed 10,000 talents. The Bible says 10,000 talents. Now you've got to realize that, that, that in some uh, theolo- theological, theological viewpoints, a talent was worth up to 15 years wages. Can you think about that now? He owed 10,000 talents. And the Bible says that the king was going to put him in prison and, and his family and sell them and, and, and regain wherever he could. But because the guy begged him, because the guy pleaded with the king and said, no, don't, don't do that to me. The king had mercy on him and let him go. And the Bible tells us that servant went out to another servant who only owed a hundred denarii. 100, a denarii is a day's wages, so he owed a hundred days wages. And, and he... And he called that debt in and he caused that servant to be thrown into prison. And the king heard about it and took that uh, first servant back and, and he put him in prison. Let me tell you something. It reminds me of the fact that there's an unforgivable debt. There's a, an amount that is so enormous that we are unable to pay. That's the first debt. And God is willing to forgive that debt, a debt That should send us to an eternal punishment. A debt that should send us to an eternal fire in hell. And yet God, in our calling on him, in our humbling before him and saying, God, I need you. I can't do this without you. Forgive me of my sins. He forgives a debt that we could not pay. And so therefore, in this parable, he tells us that we should also forgive those they owe us so little in comparison. Because the promise is this in Matthew chapter 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Lastly, I'm doing good. Lastly, we need an attitude that is inward we looked at an attitude that was upward it says we needed a new desire and a hunger and thirst for God a new attitude that was outward a new position disposition to others but lastly I want us to see that we need a new attitude that is inward a new devotion to God blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God when I think about the heart it's the seat of emotion. It's the center of a person's being. It's the foundation of who we are. I think of Proverbs chapter 4 and 23, and it says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Your version may say springs forth the issues of life. Matthew chapter 15 and 19 says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and slanders. One of the biggest lies that these days is is thinking that that we're only just just a product of our environment. And I've looked at social models. I recognize that yes, we are impacted by the culture that is around us. Yes, I recognize that the parental model that. We grew up in absolutely shapes and molds how we will parent, how we look at the world. I'm not denying the fact that how we were raised, whether being in a very conservative church versus a very liberal model, I'm not denying those things. They do impact us. But what I do recognize is that when Jesus takes the center of my heart, He becomes the greatest influencer of my life, my choice, my decisions, my culture. Because Christ is not shaped and molded by the prominent culture that surrounds Him, but He begins to create the culture that flows out of an understanding of his word and who he is and his character and as we begin to walk in the blueprint, the map of who he says we should be we become countercultural individuals that change the mindsets of the people around us because we are not here to lord it over people but we're here to serve. Because Jesus said, I didn't come in the world to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. When I think about this understanding that blessed are the pure at heart, for they shall see God, I begin to recognize that The word pure at heart literally means to be sincere. In other words, it's being without hypocrisy. That might hurt. It means being without something hidden. Look, there's no doubt the Pharisees were declaring all these rules and regulations to so many. And yet, many of them, they couldn't even... Follow themselves What I'm saying is Is that Jesus is saying If you are sincere At heart You'll see God What's that mean And I I, This might be I might be making a funny here But I know that A lot of people wear a mask and and, And Hey look Thank you For Being Cautious But I made a statement of the day, I said, you know what? Most pastors are trying to get people to take their mask off in church. And now we're encouraging people to wear masks. Because too many times we are walking in with a lack of sincerity. We don't want to admit that we're struggling. We don't want to tell anybody that, that this morning I woke up and I just... My wife and I blew up, and we're fighting and we're not happy. That's not true, that didn't happen, I'm just saying. I get home and my wife said, what? But too many times we're walking around with a facade on and we want to see God, but God's saying, who are you? Because you ain't the same person that I met a few days ago, you got a different look on your face. And God's saying, will you just be sincere with me? Will you just be willing to be broken in my presence? And let me do the fixing. Because Jesus, he can fix it. That had to be written by a man. Y'all know that? Because men are all about fixing things. But I do know this. That if we will come humble before him... He will give us a new attitude upward to have a greater desire for Him. He'll give us a new attitude outward to have a new disposition with all those around us. And He'll give us a new attitude inward that can walk humbly before Him. That's my desire for you. This morning, I don't know if maybe you have let your habits Or your hobbies become habits that have inhibited his habitation. Maybe you have allowed the privilege and power that you've been given spiritually to just be hoarded up in your own container and you've not allowed that to be released into the population to let them experience the forgiveness and love and compassion that God has given you in mercy. Maybe it's the fact that you have been wearing a spiritual mask. And yet you're broken. And you haven't been sincere with God or your brothers in Christ. And because of that, we can't see clearly the presence of God. This morning I invite you to take off that spiritual mask. Be sincere. I invite you to recall that person that may have hurt or broken you and look at them as hurt and broken and with compassion forgive them, show them mercy. I encourage you to get around some salty people that will stir a hunger in you for what they have so that you too can experience that same passion. Would you join me this morning? Whether you want to make an altar right there in front of your couch or your recliner or your chair or wherever you are, can we make an altar? Can we surrender that to the Lord this morning? Can we ask the Lord, say, Lord, let this attitude be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus. Father, Lord, I'm overwhelmed by your mercy and I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful God for your love that is so gracious. I'm thankful that the mercy is made new every morning. And God, I stand or kneel here not as a perfect person. I kneel right here recognizing that I'm a broken person. And I'm thankful that piece by piece, day by day, you are putting me back together. You're renewing my mind. We're being transformed, as your word says, from glory to glory. And Lord, I ask, as David, your servant, cried out, Lord, if there be any wicked way in me, God, demonstrate your love in me. Show me your ways. Show me your truths. God, stir a hunger in me that makes me so salty that it produces a hunger in somebody else that they want what I have. Put a joy and an excitement and a desire that is unquenchable by the things of this world. Lord, let me be filled with you and not with the things of this world. Father, let me be sincere. Let me be passionate. Let me be humble. God, make that or these characteristics prevalent in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God is good. And all the time, He is good. I want you to remember if you would like to participate, if you feel uh, that you are Are able and ready to, to be out and about. Sign up for one of those services. Call the office this week. Tammy, uh, Stephanie will be in office. Sign up for that. We got a few more things that are coming up that is really, really, really unique, exciting. We're going to bless a group of people in our church, and we and so we'll, we'll have that information out in a, a day or two for you to be aware of, and so that you can also be a part of that. We are needing to reseal the parking lot. Uh, We have grass growing in a few lines in our parking lot. And I would rather us pay about $11,000 to reseal and all that good stuff than $100,000 to repave. If you would like to help us in seeing that fulfilled, we need to do that in a urgent fashion. And we would love for you to help us get that accomplished, so that when we come back, we have a fresh-looking, new-painted parking lot that we can enjoy and appreciate. Love you guys. God bless you. We'll see you, Lord willing, next Sunday. If you're not here, it'll still be live stream. We want you to be safe. We want you to be, uh, you know, have a, a time to be ready. But when you come, it's going to be spirit-filled, spectacular. It's going to be sanitized. It's going to be safe. It's going to be awesome. God bless you guys. Love you. Our God, our God is greater. say, our God is greater. Our God is stronger. But you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power. Our God. God, and, and if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then we can stand again. If our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then we can stand again. God is gone